This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Stoppage Time. I'm your host, Chris Basinger, and joining me in the studio today is Andy Healing. Andy, how was your weekend? It was good. Uh, you know, excited about the week ahead, but also, also, you know, we're losing a little bit of soccer, at least club-level soccer. But, hey, I mean, you know, it'll be a good break. I heard you had a good breakfast at a, a certain smokehouse Yes, Byron Smokehouse, folks. If you have not heard about the great Auburn uh, place, they have good barbecue, but of course their breakfast is what you go for. So head on down. Uh, This is not an ad for Byron's, but this is a shameless plug for sure. So go to Byron's. If Byron's does want to sponsor us, we are open to that, of course. Absolutely. Iconic. Uh, And also joining me in the studio is Harrison Schooler. Harrison, how was your weekend? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. I'm uh, looking forward to some U.S. men's national team action. It's going to be good. So last week, big news was happening, folks. Real Madrid played Atalanta in the Champions League, finished 3-1, to which means Real Madrid went through 4-1 to on aggregate. Manchester City dominated Borussia Mönchengladbach, whose manager for the next season will be former Liverpool, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich legend, Chabi Alonso, and that was a 4-0 aggregate win for Manchester City over Borussia Mönchengladbach. Bayern Munich defeated Lazio 2-1, aggregate 6-2. Absolutely no surprises there. And Chelsea won 2-0 over Atletico Madrid to finish it 3-0. Harrison, there were some controversial things in this match. There was a red card. There were... uh, couple questionable goals. What was your takeaway from this one? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just really didn't like the approach from Atletico Madrid. I really didn't understand what they were really trying to do. They attempted to be on the front foot for about 10 to 15 minutes there, and they really couldn't get anything. And it was just something that the team, they couldn't conjure up anything. They didn't look like they really wanted the goal. And Chelsea were kind of able to coast through just being really sound defensively and closing down the areas and just not letting guys like Suarez find their danger zones. Yeah, and then, of course, there was the Manchester City game. Uh, Andy, there was no surprise that they would dominate this one, and they seemed to handle Borussia Mönchengladbach pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of set in stone to begin with just because City had the away goals, but... I mean, they finished it off really nicely, and, I mean, Borussia Mönchengladbach did not have any chances again, and it was kind of a mirror image of the first game, and then City had two great goals, including a great strike from Kevin De Bruyne. Gundogan finished off the second. I mean, City cruising into the quarterfinals, and we'll see how they match up against another German foe. Yeah, and speaking of those matchups, we got some interesting matchups coming up for you. Uh, The first one, of course, Manchester City versus Dortmund. Uh, This is going to be Erling Haaland perhaps facing off against maybe his future team. There was some talk about uh, uh, Haaland's dad getting a talking to from the uh, the nice folks at Manchester City. Andy, you have anything to say about that? Yeah, not a lot, but, I mean, it is well known that City have been kind of talking to his dad about, uh, you know, him potentially moving. It's just, it's early. You know, they're trying to get a head start on maybe some other clubs who are going to be interested suitors for Holland. 
Uh, I know Pep has been really high on him and and really spoke uh, highly of him in the press conference before uh, before this uh, past weekend's game in the FA Cup and. He talked about how Holland is one of the best players in the world right now and how, you know, he's just – he's I mean, he's scoring in almost every game for them. And, uh, you know, he's showing that he's one of the top youngsters and Pep is, you know, really high on him. And I think that that could be something that uh, maybe Holland sees as a compliment and maybe, you know, when hopefully for City fans that maybe Holland will end up going to play for City uh, after this season. Yeah, because my thinking on it, at least, is that it seems like out of this Manchester City squad that we have, most of those positions that needed to be filled maybe after last season with the drop in results and the drop in form, the only position that really needs to be filled is that Sergio Aguero striker role because Aguero hasn't really been present in all this season. So Holland might be your guy because I don't think J- Gabriel Jesus is the one. Yeah, no, I... I, I like Gabriel Jesus for games that, you know, maybe City are favorite to win. And, you know, he's definitely good in the domestic cups for sure. I mean, you know, no, I'm not going to take stuff away from Jesus. He's definitely come up in big uh, games before and had some moments. It's just over time, he's not the guy I'm going to trust because Sergio Aguero obviously is the guy, but he's waning away and he's eventually going to leave. I mean, very soon. It may be this year. It may be potentially next year if they can convince him to stay another season, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, I think a guy like Holland is a generational player. He's a guy that can stay there for at least more than five seasons as long as he's happy with the club. And I think if Holland comes in, that could really change City's front three and make them even more dangerous. Yeah, because Dortmund is struggling a little bit in the Bundesliga right now. They are currently in fifth place, uh, four points off of a Champions League spot. Uh, Harrison, there was a bit of talk last season. Not sure if you were aware about a certain Jaden Sancho perhaps going to Manchester United. Uh, do you think that conversation starts to come back with Dortmund perhaps not being able to play in Champions League football because we're already seeing that conversation with Holland if Borussia Dortmund aren't in the Champions League there is a belief that someone will come in come in and buy him instead of waiting another year for that release clause to kick in yeah I mean this is ultimately what's going to have to happen is if they don't make to the Champions League they're already operating at significant losses because they're very reliant on match day revenue because of their large capacity stadium and yeah you can make a lot more money when the price isn't already written in stone at 75 million next summer this summer they can milk it to whatever they would like at the moment and yeah I think uh, Jaden Sancho becomes another player that they'll have to look to offload I think he's ready to leave and was ready to leave about nine months ago and, yeah, I think that's just the direction that they're heading at the moment. I don't think their league form is consistent enough to find that top four spot, so they, they will have to offload some really incredible talent this summer. How much is Dortmund standing to lose on this deal? Because I, I believe they were asking for a, uh, in the range of 120 for Sancho last season. Where do you see him getting going for this year? Well, I would say that they are probably at a minimum going to lose 15 to 20 million, but it really depends on when they can come to an agreement with a club. Are they willing to hold out for the Euros to see if he'll have a spectacular performance? You know, he's already in Dubai trying to make a push to be fit for the City game, so can he finish out the Champions League some special way? Or can he drag Dortmund into a top four position? All these things 
you know, it's a little too too soon to make an estimate about price, I would say, but they've probably guaranteed lost at least $15 million off of him. Yeah, and that'll be a bit tough for a club that makes its money off of selling all of their big players, but I'm sure they'll be able to refinance and, of course, get some younger generational talent again. But speaking of a club that loves to take that young generational talent, uh, Bayern Munich will face off in perhaps the the match of the semifinals. These are or the quarterfinals because these are probably the two highest quality teams at the moment, all around teams. We saw a really dominant performance from PSG against Lyon, the 4-2 this weekend. Uh, Bayern, of course, Champions League winner last year. These are the two teams that were in the final. Um, what do we see going into this game? I think that this at this time, PSG is probably the more informed team. I see Bayern just falling asleep in matches right now. But I, this is this is one of those things about these teams that are so great. Is that yeah, sometimes they just need to get punched a little bit and then they'll wake up. I mean, we watched Alfonso Davies go out within the first twenty minutes of the match, and then they scored four, right in the next thirty minutes, and it, it just. It's insane. It's incredible what they're capable of. And PSG, I mean, I was in awe yesterday. I know most people, uh, most of y'all are watching the Tottenham game, but I just, I mean, that was one of those days. It started within the first couple of minutes, and I was just like, Mbappe is in a mood. He's feeling it. The touch was as silky as ever, the finishing, all of it. And he's just got so much confidence on the ball. He really drags that team around at times and moments where the, the other members of the squad are lacking. And with Neymar coming back healthy, more than likely with this fixture, I think it it sways slightly in their favor because I, I do favor Pochettino and this team to find something going, although they have been inconsistent in the league as well. Just seeing the mood and the form that Mbappe is in, and if Neymar can come back, it's just going to be a lot for them to handle a second time around. Yeah, I, I honestly think the PSG factor of them losing in the final to Bayern last season, I think that really plays in their mind because, I mean, I remember watching that game and they were, you know, they were very upset. They, you know, getting the the, sec- the uh, runner-up medals, they were not in the mood at, at all and they were really, you know, upset about that. And I think that's going to play into factor when they go up against Bayern. And I, I agree with Harrison. I think PSG... Uh, provide a lot of threats that Byron maybe aren't ready for. I know, you know, Byron have their own threats as well. I mean, you you can't take away uh, Sané and Lewandowski and Kimmich. I mean, they alone can win games for Byron even if their defense is falling asleep. So it's going to be a battle of the Giants, and I think whoever prevails in this game. You know, depending on what happens in the Dortmund City game, which, by the way, those two teams are pitted up against each other in the semis. If um, whoever wins will play each other. You know, depending on who uh, comes out of the Dortmund City game, I really think, you know, Bayern and PSG, if they put together a good semifinal uh, round, whoever wins in the quarters, I think, you know, they have a really good chance to make it all the way and win again. I I do wonder, though, um, as a hypothetical, uh, this is quite unlikely, but if Dortmund were to beat City, and Bayern were to beat PSG, and it would be that Dirk Klassiker, right, in the semifinal. We've seen Dortmund struggle against Bayern in the past, right? Holland scored those two goals early, and then Bayern come back. They seem to always come back against Dortmund. Could this be any different? 
I would argue that the better game would be PSG Dortmund, just simply due to the mocking of celebrations last year and the f- pretty upset feelings of Mbappe and Neymar when Holland struck that very nice pose of meditation after scoring an absolute rocket against them. I, I think their classicer would be um, Bayern Munich waltzing into a final. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't trust. I don't trust Dortmund's mentality whatsoever. They're they're ready to crumble at any moment. They really are. That, that's right. The PSG team did do that whole meditation celebration yes, did. in mocking. Oh, yeah, two two teams who were in the group stage together facing off again always leads to some really heated games. Uh, Bayern PSG, of course, replay of the Champions League final from last year. Um, could be a revenge tour for PSG. Uh, there's another revenge tour uh, in these games. Real Madrid, Liverpool, and I am foaming at the mouth thinking about this game. Um, this is the matchup that I, as a supporter, wanted, right? A, a chance at redemption from the 2018 final. Uh, another chance for Salah to take on Sergio Ramos. I was reading an article earlier today that was talking about how Mo Salah watched footage of him getting injured by Ramos before the 2019 final in order to hype himself up. So... Um, I'm just happy that Lovren is a part of this game because I know that he would get a red card immediately if he were a part of it. But um, you, you think we're going to see some tensions flare up, Andy? Mm, I, I don't think so. We're kind of removed from it, but I, I think Liverpool will play with an edge because, you know, I've said it before to you and in, on this podcast is that I think Liverpool – they get up for the Champions League, and it's really no secret. I mean, you look at the past uh, couple times they've made good runs. It wasn't when they were having uh, uh, good league seasons. Now, obviously, uh, you know, they did have the Premier League title, and they made it to the round of 16 loss. But, I mean, I, I really think, honestly, when Liverpool – comes down to you know being in these like last couple games in the Champions League it just seems like they have a different switch and I think this season's another example of that where you know you're not having a good season in England it's you know it's really the only trophy you can play for and it's the one that you're confident in it's one that Klopp really stresses and I think you just see a different Liverpool team so I think they're going to play with the edge Uh, again you know Real Madrid does come back to haunt them when you hear about them it's something that you know plays in their minds. So for sure, I think Liverpool will come to play, but Real Madrid's got uh, dangerous options as well. I think Real Madrid is probably in for some trouble here. I think they like to play at their own speed, and they're largely allowed to do that in La Liga, and they're able to play at their own pace. And I just don't think Liverpool are going to <laughs> allow them any breathing room. I know that this is another team that we like to think gets up for the Champions League, but it's not the same team that was getting up for the Champions League for a three-peat. There's a certain Portuguese uh, player lacking in that front line. There's Marcelo's age. It's just a number of things. I just don't think they'll be able to keep up with a Liverpool team that's going to be so direct and probably full of energy. Hey, now, but you can't forget about the legend uh, Kareem Benzema. This guy's on fire. Yeah, all you got to do is contain Kareem Benzema, and then that's it. I mean, I love Luka Modric, and I know that he's 35 years old, and at times that's hard to believe, and Tony Cruz is an excellent midfielder as well. But 
you would need Fede Valverde to be as effective as he could possibly be to withstand the energetic press that Liverpool is going to bring to those players. I know Cruz is really automatic in ball retention. He's fantastic at it. But Modric, he's not going to be able to wiggle through a lot of these um, defenders from Liverpool and midfielders. Yeah, and Real Madrid have slipped down to third place at the moment, allowing Barcelona to go ahead of them. Uh, Barcelona have five wins in their last five games. Real Madrid have two draws in their last five, the rest of them being wins. But, yeah, no, I, this is also the battle of the uh, the two most injured teams in Europe, of course, and we've talked about that before. But that's obviously going to play a factor into it fitness-wise. And uh, I believe Real Madrid has a El Clasico in between uh, these two games. They do. And Liverpool has a game away at Arsenal, which is big for the battle for top four arsenal of course just drew west ham three to three and we'll talk about that later but seeming like it's it's going to be one of the tighter matches in the quarterfinals and then you also have can't discount porto porto versus chelsea jose Mourinho's two teams of course he's not part of this at all but uh, i saw a graphic earlier today that was saying that chelsea faced um benfica in the quarterfinals of the 2011 2012 uh champions league season and they also sacked their manager halfway through the season in that year and they've done it again this year uh i don't know who has the better storyline going into this liverpool playing at istanbul or chelsea maybe repeating their antics of uh 10 years ago i like the chelsea storyline because i think tuchel's really turned the club around i think this tie is going to be simply down to just how much can porto withstand and can chelsea can Chelsea put a good goal differential between them and Porto? Can they can they make a, a victory with several goals? Because usually they keep it tight and they're pretty ship shape, making sure nobody can score. But can they put a few goals and perhaps have a second leg that is not so stressful? Yeah, because Porto did put in a, a quite emotional performance in those two legs over Juventus. Uh, got really close at the end there, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, and Tuchel still hasn't lost at Chelsea so far there was a a tight game against Sheffield United this weekend Andy but they were able to get over the top and win that 2-0 in the FA Cup yeah I mean I they didn't play a full lineup I mean there were a couple guys that came off the bench but I mean you know they they really just played a team that you'd expect to play in the FA Cup because they're trying to rest people but you know I think Sheffield uh, giving them trouble not uh, there's not really there uh, that I can like pick uh, apart because I think honestly Sheffield's that kind of team that just sits back absorbs pressure but you know I think Chelsea could have been a little bit more uh decisive in in areas especially in the uh, like late in the game they, they could have put away a couple goals but you know they did get a 2-0 win and that's all they'll take but you know I mean I think Harrison's right going up in, in, against Porto they're going to need to score a lot of goals and win it convincingly yeah, I believe Christian Pulisic had a, a few very good chances in that game that uh, he just couldn't put away. But we'll, we'll see them in action uh, after the international break. Going down to the Europa League, there were some absolutely shocking results uh, this weekend, perhaps, or this midweek, perhaps the most shocking out of all of them, Tottenham nil, Dynamo Zagreb 3, or if you are Joe Hart's Instagram Tottenham three to two job done. Uh, of course, there was that famous blunder uh, where his social media team thought that Tottenham had won this game, but alas, they did not. Uh, and you can't say it wasn't deserved, Harrison. 
No, that was a pitiful performance from Tottenham. I thought the interview with Hugo Lloris really summed it all up. There was just a lack of application from them, and Dynamo Zagreb had a lot of energy for a team that just lost their manager to a prison sentence. And just what a performance to them, what a performance to the guy who bagged that hat-trick. What a night to get a first hat-trick. Do you think that Tottenham would have played better if Jose was in prison? Possibly, possibly. Yeah, uh, David is very much, he's not on the show tonight, of course, but he is very much on the Jose out train, uh, even after the 2-0 win uh, this weekend over Aston Villa. Of course, I was in Aston Villa. Bit handicapped without Jack Grealish and all that, but Tana being out of the Europa League means that they're realistically only up for one trophy this season, and that's uh, the Carabao Cup, Andy. Carabao Cup. Manchester City's Cup of the, over the past few years. You think uh, they're going to bring a, a certain edge into that one since it's their uh, only opportunity at Silverware? I think they will, but are they going to be really excited to uh, you know, play it? I mean, I think they will, but at the same time, I think a lot of supporters from Tottenham you know, wanted a European trophy because – I mean, it's great to win in the league, but if you're only going to the conference league or you know potentially uh, something better, depending on how European results you know shake out, I don't think they're really going to take that. And I think losing in this Europa League just kind of made the Carabao Cup a little less worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tottenham were in the Champions League final a couple of years ago, couldn't get that one done. Pochettino being sacked, Jose coming in getting these results. It's been a tumultuous time to be a Spurs supporter. Uh, But in other news, Manchester United won AC Milan nil. United goes through 2-1 on aggregate. Uh, This was a much better performance than the performance that they had this weekend. Uh, But you could probably put that down to the players that were on the pitch. Uh, well, let me say this about the first game. Uh, that is very handicapped AC Milan team at the moment. They're suffering from lots of in- in- injuries, and players like Benacer not being there uh, is, a, is a big problem for them. With the game on Sunday, I think that the rotation was necessary. Bruno has played an unbelievable amount of minutes. Um, Pogba has to get some feet under him. He's not been healthy recently. I just think that even with all of that rotation, Ole might have been outcoached by Brendan Rodgers in this case. I think Rodgers and the commentators pointed it out very quickly, had a great plan to isolate the two center backs, um, finding Nacho and Jamie Vardy in that space. With Lindelof and Maguire, who are not very quick, it was just going to be a tough time all afternoon. And the pass from Fred was unfortunate but Maguire put him in a tough spot and I just don't think United really were ever in the game at any point it was a lovely dummy from Donny van de Beek to let Mason Greenwood grab his first goal but I I genuinely do not see him having a long-term spot in this team Greenwood or van de Beek van de Beek yeah there's been talk about him uh, potentially leaving this summer we know that this was more so an opportunity buy uh, last year just because Young kid, Ajax, only $40 million. Perhaps he could fit into the squad, but it seems like he's not really meshing with Jose's tactics, or, sorry, uh, Ole's tactics, or maybe lack thereof. 
Yeah, I just don't think that with a player that has had a rigid system his whole life, basically at Ajax, I think now without a certain sense of direction, he is struggling. He is concerned about ball retention first before risk, and that is a problem for Ole. And I think a problem for Donny is that Ole is not exactly specific in his roles for attackers. It is largely down to individual brilliance when they win some games and when they lose games against the bigger teams. It's marginal details, and those are the marginal details that you may point to a world-class manager like Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp not overlooking in certain cases. It's usually just... uh, bouncing those two back and forth for why he should or shouldn't be in the job. Yeah, and then Leicester, of course, had a a very dominant performance. They showed that off in this game. They had had some injury problems recently. Harvey Barnes, James Madison, Vardy was out for a time, but he's come back now. Uh, You think Ole was looking at this team and thinking that he might have an opportunity to play these players like Van de Beek and Matic, who usually don't start, instead of Fernandez, who started on the bench and we know that Rashford was out, but do you think that he was seeing that lesser team and thinking that he might be able to get a result with those players that he put on the pitch? Yeah, I'm sure he did, but I, I also think another key to this is Marcus Rashford's injury. He had such a, dyna- a dynamic feel to the front three that is just not there with anybody else. Those runs in behind can't be accounted for. I know on TV we're not seeing them all the time, but they really make the defense stretch and think. And when you have Greenwood on the field, who does really like the ball to feed a lot and doesn't always make those runs in behind. He's working on it. Martial typically wants the ball to feed. He'll occasionally make a run in behind. But with Rashford, he's constantly doing it. You have to make him think. And that just was lacking. There was just such a predictable feel to their attack. And I don't think any plan that he could have come up with for this rotated squad would have gotten them a good result. I looked for a positive sign when Bruno came on. It was just too little, too late. Not enough around him. Yeah, well, United out of one competition, but they're still in another competition. We have the draw for the Europa League. United face the dubbed Spanish Burnley, as you say, Granada. Uh, What can you tell us about this team? I can tell you that they've been on a really good run over the last two years, and they are within the top ten in La Liga. And they're highly praised by Sid Lowe, the La Liga writer for The Guardian, And I think that they'll be opportunistic. They just have to be in this situation. They got stuck with a draw that they probably didn't want. Or maybe they're looking forward to it, an opportunity to go play at Old Old Trafford. Excuse me. (laughs) Did you you say... We've indoctrinated them, folks. I looked at a trash can when I said that. That's why I (laughs) Because it resembles it. Yeah, anyway. I thought I was seeing, hearing things. My goodness. This is a, a good draw for United, but I think... Having to play the winner of Roma and Ajax is going to be an excellent semifinal if they are going through. Well, of course, the second leg of that will be played at Trashford. But Arsenal get to play Slavia Praha. Of course, there was controversy with Slavia Praha and uh, alleged racism in Rangers. But uh, this Arsenal team managed to go ahead of Olympiacos. Uh, it was a quite... Uh, game, the last one, 1-0 Olympiacos. Arsenal didn't really look convincing in the performance. Perhaps they were just content with how they were playing and managed to go through anyways. Um, but Arsenal, Slavia Praha, we thinking that Arteta is going to put all the chips in on a uh, Europa League performance because they're not looking like they're going to finish top four. 
He has to. This is what they have to do. They've got to put all their eggs in this basket because at the moment in the Premier League, you can't rely on them. I mean, we just saw it with this past weekend's 3-3 with West Ham. What an absolutely absurd game. They they just can't they can't be counted on in the league to get results consistently. And they're going to have to worry about these, these two-leg ties, and they're just going to have to put everything they've got into him. He's got to make sure everybody is healthy and ready to be played on a Thursday night because the way they looked was, was pitiful. West Ham absolutely ran them over, and they finally woke up and were able to conjure up that 3-3 draw. It was so impressive at times from them, the way they were able to just cut through and find their way into the back of the net. But to play like the way they did for 45 minutes, it was just it was terrible. And that is just not, it's not going to fly in the Premier League, and that's why Arteta's got to go full force for this Europa League. Yeah, we have criticized Aubameyang in the past, and Arsenal scored their third and final goal of this game after he came off in the 81st minute. Um, perhaps it's time for a shakeup. Aubameyang's above 30. He just signed a new contract extension, but he hasn't looked the same since he signed that thing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Arteta's definitely found dif- different players uh, on that team that can score on goals. I know one guy that's been imp- pretty impressive is Lacazette. I mean, you know, he's he scored two, uh, two good goals. I mean, well, one of them was an own goal, but, I mean, he, he struck it and had a good goal but and then the second one was a header uh, that got the 3-3 and I think you know they haven't I would say they haven't really needed him at times I mean he's a presence on the field that they they do need and they I think he should be on the field but I think guys like Lacazette and Pepe and Saka have really stepped up for them and have provided something that Aubameyang maybe uh, doesn't have is and, and that's really just their pace and speed because they're smaller guys they can uh, create a little bit more whereas a bombing's more of your typical striker your goal scorer he creates some s- chances but I, he's not a guy that's getting you know to the to the wing and putting in crosses and creating chances he's more of your putting putting it in the back of the net kind of guy he's staying more central and I think, you know, Arsenal, like I said, they just haven't really needed him at times, but I think they do need to work a way to get him more in the fold. Yeah, because Arsenal have been more and more attacking this season. Um, I was talking to someone earlier, and he was saying that perhaps it might be time for maybe if Xhaka, he's played, I think, the the last 16 games, the full 90 minutes before being subbed out in the last one. Uh, it might be time for a party single pivot with maybe a Saka and Smith row on the sides in attacking style. I can guarantee you there is no way he tries that. Arteta is extremely calculated, extremely risk management. To throw that to Thomas Partey in a season where he is still adapting to the pace of this league, you might find yourself in a Liverpool, Aston Villa, or a Manchester United Tottenham result. But that might be something for the future if he can get adjusted. I wouldn't sacrifice him to the fire after a troubling start for him already. Just build the team slowly but surely. Steady is the key in this situation because at the moment you can't force Premier League results for this team. They're just too inconsistent. Yeah, but it has been a huge increase since the fall when they went something like 800 minutes without scoring a goal from open play. Something ridiculous like that. He has been utilizing those younger players a lot more and that's been good especially after the criticism that the club got for 
spending $73 million on a player like Pepe and not immediately getting results. Uh, but other Europa League games, uh, perhaps the most interesting, uh, maybe the most level would be Ajax-Roma, right? You have this young Ajax team, a few of the same players from the last one. Onana is not in it because of uh, doping, but uh, Blind, Daly Blind is still in it. Um, United States men's national team, Brian Reynolds. I was waiting for you to bring that up. Uh, and, of course, against Roma. Could be could be a tight game. And then Dynamo Zagreb versus Unai Emery. Good evening, the legend himself. Uh, his Villarreal team. If Villarreal win and if Arsenal win, those two are going head-to-head. And I don't think I can be- think of a better storyline. We need this, this subplot. We absolutely we need, need this it. subplot. Absolutely need it. Moving on, we had some Premier League games this weekend. Only... Four of them, we already talked about the West Ham-Arsenal game. Of course, that game ended 3-3. Three early goals from West Ham from Jesse Lingard, Jared Bowen, and Thomas Suchek. Uh, And then two more goals from West Ham, but into their own net from Suchek and Craig Dawson. And then the only goal for Arsenal scored that day by an Arsenal player was Lacazette in the 82nd minute to tie it up. Uh, there was also Brighton 3, Newcastle 0. Uh, Brighton, of course, should be fifth place right now on XG and XG allowed, uh, but they are currently in uh, 16th. But it's a big win for them against uh, a re- in, a, in a relegation battle, Steve Bruce's Newcastle. Uh, could this be the start or this, something? I am really hopeful that this leads to a final day against Fulham New- this Fulham Newcastle on the final day. I just hope that has everything riding on it. At the moment, I know Newcastle are in terrible form, and I know that Fulham are also in terrible form. So I think it's gonna it's gonna be right there. Those those are gonna be the two teams battling it out to see who goes down. I really like Brighton's chances of, of staying up. Yeah, Brighton's in 16th, Newcastle's in 17th. Newcastle haven't won a single one of their last five games. They have two losses and three draws, and Fulham are only two points behind, albeit Newcastle do have a game in hand, but Fulham's only two points behind right now. Could be close, could be close, going to be interesting. West Brom and Sheffield United, of course, look like they are almost definitely going down. Nothing Sam Allardyce can do about that. Um, Fulham... Did play Leeds United. Leeds won two to one. Uh, close, entertaining game, but Bielsa eventually came out on top. And something good for David to think about: Tottenham two, Aston Villa nil. Andy, this Aston Villa team was, of course, handicapped. Jack Grealish is out, some injuries. Tottenham fresh team. Jose said that he was going to shake it up a bit, and he did, and they got a result. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was really shocked at how attacking. Uh, Tottenham looked I thought you know with with Vinicius I was thinking you know is this even going to work and he bagged a goal and then Harry Kane got a penalty kick and obviously put that away like he always does with penalties and you know I think that's going to give him some confidence and you know David has talked about it before like Tottenham has had a pretty tough season yet they're still six like they are in the thick of it I mean they're only uh, three points back right now to Chelsea and I think that's really, really impressive from them that they've been able to consistently, uh, you know, stay up there 
despite you know terrible form and losing games, especially like the, the North London Derby, and you just think all of a sudden that Tottenham's you know going to fold. The season's over. You know that they've they're out of Europe, and now they're just holding on to some bit of hope in the league. But I mean, they're still there. And they have a chance. They just need things to go their way. And, you know, they're going to have to have help from other teams. But, you know, they're right there in the thick of it. And I think a big that was a big win against Aston Villa for them. And, you know, give, give them a little bit of confidence as they head to the business end of the season. Yeah. Tottenham's in sixth place. West Ham, a uh, bit of a struggle. That, that draw with Arsenal helped out a few teams. Tottenham, Liverpool, Everton, uh, Chelsea even, who are just up above of West Ham, but yeah, Tottenham being above Liverpool at this point in the season kind of kind of hurts a little bit. Imagine it, Chris. Imagine, imagine it. Imagine that. I don't have to imagine it. It's real. <laughs> That's where we're at right now. Uh, we already talked about one FA Cup game. Leicester beat Manchester United three to one, but there were three other games, uh, perhaps less exciting. We already talked about chess. Uh, I almost said Chelsea United. Uh, Chelsea versus Sheffield United. Chelsea 2, Sheffield United 1. But Manchester City played Everton. Andy, I tried to stay awake during this game. Going to be honest, I tried, but it was hard. It was a very sleepy game, and honestly, I was starting to lose patience by the end of it. But fortunately, Okai Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne came through. Uh, They've scored the last four goals in City games, which is funny. So they've backed a brace in two games. Uh, And it's been funny. You know, I think honestly, I was really surprised at Everton and how they, uh, you know, were able to hold City. I mean, did City play a strong lineup? No, not really. I mean, they didn't have guys like, uh, you know, Mares out there. There was no De Bruyne until he stepped on the field. And honestly, you know, it was a game that I think City was just trying to play damage control and they weren't trying to you know, be aggressive and get a bunch of goals. I think they were just trying to go out there and hope that they could defend and maybe get a goal, and that's what they did at the end, and it was kind of a scrappy win. But uh, fortunately for uh, City, they're able to retain the quadruple hopes. But I, I think if they had not gotten a goal and that had gone to extra time, I think Everton would have been right in the thick of it and had a chance to win. Well, Everton were playing a dangerous game, right? They they only had 25% of the ball. Their strategy relied on, okay, we're going to try and counterattack, get that through. They just couldn't really get it firing on all cylinders, I'd say, with Calvert-Lewin and with Richarlison. And injuries, right, James Rodriguez wasn't part of this team. You have to play Gilfie Sigurdsson, uh, Gomes and Allen in the midfield. I don't, I don't think there's as good a link-up play right there, and especially against the City team, it's just not going to work as well. But then... Uh, of course, there was also Bournemouth nil, Southampton three. Uh, Southampton haven't been looking too good in the Premier League, but they're managing to progress to the semifinals of the FA Cup, which means that we are setting up for Leicester City versus Southampton uh, in one game and Chelsea versus Manchester City in the other game. I thought that it would be inevitable that Manchester City would get the easier team, of course, because that's what always seems to happen. But uh, Chelsea City, this will be a. These are two Champions League sides playing in uh, in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited for the matchup. I think it'll be interesting to see how City approaches it because you know it's going to be in April, a little bit later on, and you know I think 
I think this game is probably the final, to be honest. I mean, if Southampton beats Leicester City for some reason, and whoever wins this game, I think, you know, City or Chelsea will win. I think even against Leicester, they're the favorites. But, I mean, Leicester do pose threats for both of these teams. But, you know, when you're looking at it on paper, I think Chelsea, Man City are a step above uh, where Leicester City and Southampton are right now as far as form-wise. Uh, so I think, you know, really uh, this game will feel like a final for both of these teams. For City, obviously, you're going to have the added pressure as long as they're still in the Champions League of the quadruple. And I think for them, the pressure will be on because Chelsea's going to bring in, you know, a team that's you know ready to play. They're ready to compete, and I think Tuchel uh, is going to go out there and give it all he's got and – you know they're going to put out a squad that wants to win, and I think City is they're going to have to play their best because if they don't, uh, Chelsea is easily able to pick them off and win this game. Yeah, and that wraps up FA Cup and Premier League fixtures. Of course, we are entering an international break until early April, which means that it is time for everyone's favorite international break segment, USMNT Watch. Uh, Harrison. Who should we be looking out for? So, this time again, we will be taking a close look at official United States, United States men's national team player Eunice Musa, who just recently committed to the U.S. men last Tuesday. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where he plays in the field because Weston McKinney is going to stay with Juventus, and they're going to monitor him as he is working through injury and reha- uh, rehabilitation. And you're going to get to find, you're also going to get to watch Owen Otisawi, who's not been getting time with Wolverhampton Wanderers, so he is another another person to watch. But the biggest point of emphasis this turn, this time around should be the striker spot. Let's see what Daryl DK has to offer and what does Josh Sargent have to offer. What does Greg Bearhalter feel is the most effective for how he wants to play? This is... DK's second call-up to the U.S. men's national team. He has been off to an electric start for Barnsley, who are now in a playoff spot right now for the Premier League. Uh, Serginho Dest will also be another player to watch. Grabbed his first two league goals this weekend in La Liga, including his first one from Lionel Messi. So it is a bright time for the U.S. men. And, of course, naturally, you have to watch Christian Pulisic. He was the man of the match for Chelsea against Sheffield United. He looked bright, lively, he was taking players on. Let's just see how he's feeling when he gets more than likely two games in a row. I would like to go south of the border real quick and mention Mexico's home kit that was released today. Um, I'm just going to say Mexico, can y'all get your right colors? Because I don't think pink fits in your color scheme? I'm, I'm I'm just asking for a friend here. I've stopped questioning the Adidas design team. You can see why in uh, Manchester United's third kit this year. So I just think that uh, anybody can do anything there and they will print it. Do you think that they just copied and pasted Inter Miami's colors onto yeah, this kit? Because I, that's what it's looking like to me. I mean, they, there's probably some influence because, you know, David Beckham and... Uh, Inner Miami don't exactly have the greatest colors either. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, down in, in Miami, you know, I guess 
maybe they were feeling a little bit like, hey, let's you know copy a team that might have Ronaldo and Messi one day on the same team. So who knows? Yeah, and if any of our listeners want to, feel free to send a Mexico journey jersey to Landon Donovan. I'm sure that he would very much appreciate it, considering that he cheers for them whenever the U.S. is not in the World Cup. But, of course, the U.S. plays two games during this international break uh, against Jamaica. I'm not going to try an accent because it's going to be terrible, so I'm just going to say Jamaica. Uh, and Northern Ireland, or as some say, the best Ireland. How are we uh, looking for those games? I think that this is just going to be an experimental team. This is another chance for Greg Bearhalter to get a feel for what he's got. Um, there's some time before their first real competitive fixture for the Nations League. I think they have three matches in between now and then. And he's got to really get a grip of what he's got. I think as far as the back four is concerned, as long as Anthony Robinson can stay consistent, I think he can seal that left back spot, which will put Serginho Dest in his favorite right back spot. And Chris Richards had a real tough time this weekend, giving up that goal for Hoffenheim, caught in possession. And it was it was a really tough moment for the youngster, but it's a, it's a learning experience. And John Brooks has certainly locked down that center back position next to possibly Chris Richards. And Zach Steffen is by far the number one. And one last question for you. Do you think that he's going to maintain a similar lineup between these two games, or do you think he's going to play as many players as possible just to see what fits? There has to be rotation because of COVID restrictions for players coming to uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, some of them are not allowed. I believe it's the German clubs are not allowing their players to go to Northern Ireland for that. F- so there will be uh, different lineups for each game. I am assuming there is – there should be no thought put into the fact that Josh Sargent will more than likely start the first game because he is one of the players that will have to go back for the second game. All right. Well, listeners, you have that to look forward to this week. Uh, We will be joining you again next week. Not sure what we'll be talking about considering there's not too much to play for, but we will see you then. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.